This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. I'm going to have a meltdown if the NFL bans the tush push. Brad Spielberger from PFF joins me in a minute. Make this quick up the top uh, to go through how the best and worst teams were built in 2023. And then Joe Biscaglia from The Athletic joins me to do a little bit of a Bills Dolphins preview, which I think is one of the games of the year in the NFL so far. And like just from a and like a lot of times like, oh, these teams are three and oh or four and oh or you know, oh these both these teams are undefeated late in the season. Like that that kind of game of the year in September, October. And those are great. I really enjoy them. But this is where we get to learn a lot about let's say that obviously the Dolphins offense, how the Bills are built to potentially stop it or not stop it. Josh Allen in another big spot. Like I, there's a lot to learn from that game. I wish it wasn't at, at 1 PM on a Sunday. Um, but very quickly before we get to Brad and Joe, I can't believe the discourse around the tush push or the, somebody said they're trying to make it the brotherly show up. That's not going to happen. Horses out of the barn. Okay. Um, but maybe it's cause they just, they, they play a primetime game. We just, we just react to it. That's just how it works. That's just how media works. Everybody watched the game. Nobody sits around a multi-view watching different things. So we're all reacting to the one thing we saw on Monday. So here are the stats. Tush push is 37 of 41 per the Associated Press. The play was legalized in 2005 when there used to be a rule against pushing an offensive player, um, a lineman or whomever, anybody else in the field. They weren't allowed to, to, to push a player. Now they are. Um and somehow this has become a crisis. Pretty much every show has done a segment on this. And I'm shocked at the amount of people who say it's got to go. Shocked. Um, first of all, 37 for 41 is not automatic. Okay. Second of all, even if it was automatic, this is something Nick Sirianni said many times, it's only automatic at this moment in time for the Philadelphia Eagles. If it was automatic for the Zach Wilson Jets, well, guess what? That would be great because they'd be able to generate some offense, but it is clearly not. In fact, Zach Wilson tried a quarterback sneak last week and got swallowed. Okay, That's, that's just how this works. And I don't think that Jalen Hurts, who allegedly squats 600 pounds, and Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson and Landon Dickerson I don't think there's going to be a play in short yards that they're bad at. So we're going to start changing rules because of that, because the team with the Hall of Fame center, a strong as hell quarterback, and a line that's built for this, built to get that yard, we're going to change the rules because they get that yard? I, I just think it's ridiculous. Um, I don't think we should go around, even if it... Uh, like, I, I don't even like Mina joked about banning pre-snap motion, like baseball with the shift. Like if it changes the sport tangibly to where in five years, it's unwatchable. Sure. We can talk about whether or not throwing a guy forward is bad for the game. But again, it hasn't proliferated because it can't, because my guess is people are saying, Oh, why don't, why don't the teams uh, just, just run the tush push. It's so automatic from short yardage. Yeah. Well, NFL coaches, contrary to what you might think, are, are generally smart guys. And they've thought about it. I promise you, they've thought about it. And maybe they've tried it in practice. And they go, oh, I get it. We don't have a Hall of Fame center. We don't have an interior line built to get this kind of push. By the way, we call it the tush push. Like the initial push comes from the line. Then there's a second push. It's tush pushes. Tushes pushes is what we're dealing with right now. Um, and so... I just I, I I'm I'm struggling to see why you would why you would ban it um, because if it was easy everybody would do it that's just how it how it works in football um, don't ban it by the way next year if Jason Kelsey hangs it up this play might not work so you're gonna have a competition committee meeting on something that might not work the moment one guy retires if they don't go out and get another Hall of Fame center um, you're putting your quarterback and I've seen people say this you're putting your quarterback in danger with that play. Um, there's a risk reward for it as far. And I'm not talking about from a health and safety thing. I'm just saying like anytime, like Tom Brady was automatic at quarterback stinks. He stopped doing it as a career went on. Cause he didn't want to get hit. Jalen hurts is fine with it. Jalen hurts is fine being on the, at this point in his career at the bottom of a pile. And so if he wants to do it more power to him, God bless him. God bless the Eagles. God bless the tush push. Keep it legal. Don't legalize it. Keep it legal. All right. Here's Brad. Tickets for the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OmahaFull, and then 
place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, you keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only, must wager with eligible promo code BET amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Part of the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Brad Spielberger series, the salary cap analyst for pro football focus. He's a bears fan. Are you okay, brother? I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm surviving. What do you think? Like, let's just game this out. I know I didn't ask you to prep for this, but like the future of the bears franchise, if it doesn't, if there's no miraculous turnaround here or some sort of five win, five game win streak, something like that, like the 2024 bears look like what Brad? I think we're looking at a, a young quarterback from USC, maybe a young quarterback from UNC. No. Uh, yeah. I think we're getting into that conversation. Uh, and look, they have Carolina's first round pick as well. So maybe they're picking one, two Oh, Marvin Harrison in Chicago. I'm trying to stay optimistic. Like you said, am I okay? I said, I'm surviving for a reason. I, I, is there a structural problem in, in Chicago? Like we got the question on Sunday night from our, from a listener where they were like, if you're Caleb Williams, aren't you just like, no, I'm not going to Chicago to keep failing quarterbacks. Like, is there something I, I, I have some theories? Cause I think that if any problem lingers past two GMs or two coaches, it's normally ownership in some, in some capacity, whether that's actual ownership or the people with ownership has decided they're going to run the team in their place or as proxies or whatever. Like it seems to me, Brad, there's a little bit of a structural problem just with how they build their team and how they operate. Yeah, I'll answer this as delicately as possible. I think it's a fair question. It's a fair point. I do have a ton of faith, not just because I happen to cross paths with him, but I love the hiring of Kevin Warren as the president of the Chicago Bears. Yes. You know, obviously there's infamously they've had non-football presidents running the show. Yes, ownership is of course involved with every building, but so I I do have a lot of faith that as he sees through, you know, the new stadium, all those things, but also if they do move on, which I don't think they need to move on just yet, but if they do move on, I trust that process. They're not hiring an external third party, uh, you know, search committee or, or getting Bill Polian's thoughts and opinions with all due respect, <laughs> uh, with all due respect, uh, you know, so, so I do have faith in that. <laughs> uh, all right. We're doing something called how to build a good team. I, I wanted to get the bears talk out because once they started the segment called how to build a good team, we couldn't talk about the bears, obviously, um, because there's a couple of team building lessons i think we can draw here i'm fascinated by that maybe it's just the the former uh you know 
baseball fan in me, just just enjoying how a team is built, how a team has spent their money, the resources, the draft capital. I just think it's a it's weirdly underplayed um, in the NFL, just how how teams go out and attack certain position groups or don't or I mean, like. Philadelphia, great example. The amount of guys they get on prove-it contracts um, at certain positions, why they do that, how traits-based it is, the flyers they take on guys they liked in the draft. like That, to me, is one of the reasons they're really successful. And then you figure it out, and if you want to sign a guy to a four-year deal after he proves it, or you just let Hargrave leave because he gets too expensive, like that, to me, a rotating door of talent is a really underutilized trick in in football. Um, and so I just think there's a bunch of teams like that um, that do, that do smart stuff like that. Um, I'm going to start here, Brad. You can take this anywhere you want. What team building job has impressed you the most right now? Yeah, so you just mentioned one. I mean, you have to shout out the Philadelphia Eagles because they do exactly what you just said. I mean, first and foremost for me, they start in the trenches. Everything builds out from there. I know there's a lot of flashy stuff now about, you know, coverage versus pass rush and all these various different things. I think the highest floor approach and the most repeatable, consistent approach is you draft and develop and you win up front and then you add corners and receivers and whatever. Uh, So that is the biggest thing. But also, I mean, they're always thinking 10 steps ahead, right? Like they trade with the New Orleans Saints. The Saints now have Trevor Penning, who's one of our lowest graded tackles. And oh, they have uh, they have Jalen Carter, who's like our highest graded interior defender in the entire NFL. So so there's that as well. Um, They have to be mentioned on the list. But also as scary as this should be for fans, the Kansas City Chiefs are on this list. And it's not just because they have Patrick Mahomes. They are. 18th in cash spending. They have the youngest defense on average age in the entire NFL. That's a lot of good players in that defense. Trent McDuffie looks like looks like a stud. George Karloftis is now top 10 for us in pressures. So I think them too, the same thing. They draft, they develop. When guys get too expensive, they're okay moving on like a Tyreek Hill, getting that draft capital. Mm-hmm. You know, it can hurt in the short term. For them, it obviously did not hurt at all. Um, but, but I think that is how you sustain success uh, in the NFL. Real quick, I know the cap is endlessly complicated, and maybe when we see the Chris Jones situation, maybe we won't be asking this question, but like with all of their high-end guys, how do they make it work financially? Yeah, so I think with the way they do it is first the way they structure their contracts to always give them cap flexibility, that they utilize these big roster bonuses in the early parts of years. Mm-hmm. If they want to prorate it, meaning push those cap hits out into the future, uh, you know, they do it all the time. They do it with Mahomes and Joe Tooney and Kelsey uh, and Chris Jones, et cetera, et cetera. So, so they're always kind of, again, balancing the budget for the short term and the long term, but also I'm not calling them cheap, but they don't spend to the top of the NFL. They don't chase a window. They try to consistently be right in the middle. Like I said, they're 18th this year. Um, So I think that's part of it as well is, look, you can spend a lot. The Eagles are always spending a ton. Um, But but again, I think the way that they recognize, like, I, I know we fall in love with windows, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Like, sometimes you should do that. But again, the sustained winners say, I want to win 10 games a year and then hope that health luck goes my way and a couple bounces go my way and maybe I win a title. I don't want to pour every single thing into one season. If you're the Rams, it works. But also then, you know, you're you're the Rams in 2023. <laughs> um, hey, real quick, when can the Rams be good again? Seriously, like, it, it, do they have? Do, does does what they did over the past three years? Like, does that take them out for two years? Is it? Are they going to be okay next year? Are they taking the medicine this year? I think the lesson there is, if you have a coach that is a true difference maker in the Sean McVay realm, then you can get back pretty quickly. So, but I will still right. say 2025 because for me, like Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, and Aaron Donald, like I don't think they can be the foundation of a contender going forward. Oh, they're still all great players, uh, but like. Are they going to be the nucleus of a championship football team in 2024, 2025? Like, you know, Donald would be 34 years old, I think, at that point. So I don't know about that. The Dolphins. It's such a weird journey because you had the Flores tanking year, so we can call it that. Um, even though Flores won too many games for that to be considered a, a, a Sashi Brown style tank. But Chris Greer has been there the whole time. They get the quarterback. He's still cheap. And maybe we can talk about a Tua contract after this this particular topic. You trade for Tyreek Hill. You draft, you trade down and then trade up for Jalen Waddell. Um, when you look at how this team and we traded for Jalen Ramsey, he's not even on the field right now and will be a difference maker in the second half of the season if he gets back. When you look at the, the way this team was built, what stands out? And are there any 
lessons other than if you just keep going eventually and you hire a coach who can put it all together, eventually things will work out. This is the coolest thing I think about how we talk about how there's different ways to do it. So, you know, first of all, the Finns are 27th in the ratio of homegrown players to external additions. All the guys you just mentioned, you know, that's just saying comparing, you know, their draft picks and, and UDFAs versus guys they traded for or signed in free agency. They're 27th, meaning they're mostly compared to the league outside the team. You mentioned Bradley Chubb. They traded a first round pick for him as well. So that's the one lesson and the second is they kind of flipped the script and they built from the outside in right you have Xavier Howard obviously Ramsey hasn't played Mm -hmm. you get the two incredible wide receivers obviously need a quarterback obviously need a Mike McDaniel level coach but their offensive line is playing well and they did pay for Teron Armstead but they've never they've tried to draft there it hasn't gone particularly well and the defensive (laughs) line has talent no question about it but but I think that's the fascinating thing is they're not homegrown and they didn't focus inside out and yet they're the most exciting team in the NFL so far. What would you do if you're Chris Greer about to his contract? It's going to be one of the most fascinating decisions in a very, very long time. Like, I, I, as much as I love Mike McDaniel, I mean, Sean McDermott, don't take it from me. He called the offense revolutionary uh, ahead of the matchup this week. But I, I think it's unfair to say that a lot of this isn't to Tagovailoa as well. I mean, he has the fastest average time to throw, the highest average at the target. We also chart things like people say, oh, well, his guys are so wide open. On throws where we only chart one or zero wide receivers as open, he's still our highest graded quarterback in the NFL like there's there's a lot of that his anticipatory throws like knowing where he's going with the football before the snap even happens I think that mitigates the lack of arm strength where look you can throw Mm -hmm. downfield if you're you're throwing it in one and a half seconds obviously the late shot clock stuff the interception against the Patriots like that's not his game that's Josh Allen that's other guys but he's so accurate and he's so smart that I think to answer the question I think you do have to explore an extension. They have the fifth-year option at their disposal. But, you know, is he going to top the market? No. But I know this sounds crazy. Maybe he gets $50 million a year when Trevor Lawrence probably gets yeah. 60 this offseason. So he's still in the conversation, but he's not among the top five deals at the position. So here's my thinking on this. And we're going to get all of these Galaxy brand takes. I promise you, Brad, in the next month, someone's going to come out and say, Dolphins have to trade to a top of the market. They, they can replicate or whatever. Like happens all the time. Remember that was the thing with, with Jared Goff. And by the way, I mean, the Goff thing worked out, even though they probably shouldn't have given them all that money in LA because it, a lot of it was Sean McVay. Having said that, you know, right now it's Ben Johnson. Maybe Goff is just pretty good. Okay. Um, but I think the easiest thing in the world to do is have Chris Greer sit down with Mike McDaniel close the door, lock the door, get rid of all the recording devices and say, Mike, how many guys can you do with do, do this with? How many guys? Because is the answer we could do it with the 17th highest paid quarterback in football and not have to give this guy $50, $50 million? I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. I think it's going to be really hard. I think the amount of guys that Mike McDaniel could do it with is already the amount of guys who are getting – 45, 50, 55, 60 million dollars. Okay. Like that's that's why I would I would go towards paying him. And and this like and I've heard guys say this before in the league, and maybe you have too. Maybe it's a lack of imagination, but like the cap's going up. And at some point it's like, you know what? We don't want to pay to find out that this guy was, you know, like we don't want to, to, to nickel and dime $10 million. And then all of a sudden our entire franchise falters. And I remember a couple of years ago when Thomas Dimitrov signed Matt Ryan to the first $30 million deal, which was four years ago, something like that. He was just like, I think they were haggling over like one or $2 million at the end. And Dimitrov was like, man, have you ever been in a building without a franchise quarterback, without an answer at quarterback? Like, uh, like the secretaries are all like the demeanor is different. Like everything is different. The wide receivers are worried about their targets, but then is going to worry about their money. Like everything is different. And an answer a quarterback is the most beautiful thing in the world for everybody. And it's funny because I think Steve Kime said this a couple of weeks ago on one of the shows where he was like, I guess Nick Bosa had said, you have to draft me. And, and, and Kime kind of liked that, but he was like, Kyle was like, I, I got an extension for drafting Kyler Murray. I would have gotten fired for drafting Nick Bosa. And that's just the way it goes. Having an answer at quarterback, and that, that was probably a mistake, but ha- having, as far as the, the extension goes, but like having an answer at quarterback is what every franchise wants. And I think that it'd be very hard, unless Mike McDaniel literally says, which I won't, I don't think he's going to say, if he says, I can do this with Colt McCoy, then that's a, that's a different discussion. He's not going to do that. I think he, he wants a guy like Tua in that spot, and they'll probably keep him. 
I agree with you. Yeah, I know the galaxy brain takes like now you have Brock Purdy and everyone's going to say, well, he came from San Francisco. They're doing it with Mr. Irrelevant. He's a, a great offensive mind, just like Kyle Shanahan is like, oh, that may be true. But, um, you know, I agree with you, like taking that risk, especially when you have a, a very talented and very expensive roster now, like you're just going to say, hey, Tyreek, we're going to drop in a rookie and hopefully it works yeah. out. Right. Like we're going to roll with Mike White. Yeah. Yeah. Like good luck with that. Yeah. So I agree with you. And I do think I never like to you know speculate about a player's position, but I think if I'm to attack by low and his people if Miami does come to them in, in, in good faith and says look the Flores situation was bad you had we, we probably could have done a better job with yeah him. but said look we hired a guy for you who loves you we tried to build this entire team for you because we love you can you do us a solid and like, point to Patrick Mahomes point to whoever and credit to Mahomes who said I took a raise because I yeah. need to take a raise to help other players behind me which is true um but hey like I said we'll give you 50 not 60 can can you stomach that and I think if I'm to attack of Iloa I say yeah I'll give you a little bit of a discount and 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 give you some outs maybe a little bit earlier in the deal I mean look teams have insurance on these deals for injuries stuff like that like there's ways around it I, I pay him I'm with you so the Browns have a historic defense if anybody's getting $60 million against the cap, it should be Miles Garrett for just literally just how, how much he is wrecking offenses right now in quarterbacks. Um, I am confused by all of this because they can compete for a Super Bowl with average quarterback play. And they're, and, and over the first three weeks on balance, like they, he played Watson played well against Tennessee, but has not played well this year, has not played well at all in Cleveland, his entire tenure there. Um, which is now six, seven, eight games, something like that. Um, not saying he can't get can't get to average, but he he hasn't um, for for a couple of game stretch there. So, how screwed are the Browns? In as much that the cat the sixty four million dollar cap hit start next year, and I I made a joke about it after when he threw the ball backwards from that sack last week. And these Browns fans, and I didn't even know they these guys, this brand of Browns guy existed. They're just like, oh well, we'll just restructure. It's fine. The sixty four million dollar cap hits will, will never be a problem. It's gonna be restructuring. It's like it makes me laugh. And I was talking about this the other day, but like, you know, restructuring doesn't make the contract free. You know, like you can't just. This isn't like a zero interest rate thing where you just like can say, oh, we'll just kick, and then we'll kick the can down the road. We'll keep extending. I'm like. You gonna make him your Kirk Cousins, where he just keeps signing to three three year deals for massive amounts of money just to to alleviate the cap hit a little bit? Um, what are their options? Um, and, and listen, I saw a thing the other day that like there were loopholes to get out of the contract. I, I doubt I doubt those are real. Um, I think that was that was a P, uh, NBC Sports PFT thing. Um, I doubt that happens. It might be real legally speaking, but is a team really gonna like? get in a court battle with one of the players they signed when whatever that, that that's a separate thing um but what are the browns options and what is their flexibility over the next three years when they have to pay watson what amounts what it looks like amounts to to over 60 million dollars in cap money on a 45 million dollar guaranteed deal uh, when you see the restructure comment I, I think i understand why we have a lot of credit card debt in, in our nation uh because it's the same thing <laughs> right like it's yes you can push it down the road you can make that a future you problem or a future browns problem but it doesn't disappear and there's a reason why and you know, we look at the, the amount of dead cap a team is carrying in a certain year if you're in the top quartile the odds you make the playoffs are, are like 10 percent, right like it's going to hit you eventually mm-hmm. right now the bucks and the rams are first and second you know in dead cap money this season yeah. And, you know, Baker Mayfield is, is is playing for Tampa Bay for a reason. So it does catch up to you. The thing why his fully guaranteed matters so much is because we can contrast it to Russell Wilson. Like there is an out for yeah. Russell Wilson even after this offseason. Yes. Is it a terrible out? Is it still a really painful out? Yes. But but it does exist where with Deshaun Watson, because every single dollar is fully guaranteed, the only out is, is someone trading for him. And the odds that someone trades for that contract and that person are probably close to zero. Right. So. So he's the guy, and it's fascinating because, like you said, off to a great start. Their defense has allowed the lowest yards per play through three weeks in 100 years. Um, they should be a contender, but but if, if they fall apart, right, like I think you just – you fire the front office, you fire the coach because you have you, – like you can't get out of this deal, which is tough because I think Kevin Stefanski does a good job. I think Andrew Barry overall does a good job as well. Yeah, I don't have a, a fun answer. There is no out. He is on this on this team until this contract runs out. Yes, you can manipulate the cap, but at a certain point, it's going to hamper your ability to add talent. You know, you're not trading for Zedarius Smiths. You're not you're not signing all these guys. Right. Eventually, that stops being able to happen. Um, you know, to a degree. Best non rookie contract in the league right now. 
I think one that that is very relevant uh, is probably Max Crosby with the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, for me, it's a classic. Mm. I say it's relevant because we saw all the edge rushers this offseason, you know, Brian Burns or Sean Gary, Montez Sweat, uh, Josh Allen in Jacksonville not get signed. I got a pretty good feeling that the teams in those buildings were saying, why would we pay you more than that guy? And it was a very hard argument for the agents to make that they should. Uh, it's classic. He got drafted in the fourth round and he wanted to get an early deal done, as he should, you know, get some financial protection. Mm-hmm. But now him making twenty three and a half million dollars a year when Nick Bosa is making more than ten million dollars more per year than that. Um, look, it, you know, he belongs, I think, in that conversation. I do think Bosa, Parsons, TJ Watt, Garrett, maybe a little bit better, but he's right there in the thick of those things. Um, it, it's I think it's the best deal in sports for a team right now. Besides quarterbacks, that's a different conversation. Wow. <laughs> Not counting Watson, uh, worst worst non rookie contracts. I guess I I don't know why why I'd have to say non rookie. Like all rookie contracts are great. Uh, worst contract in football right now. Yeah, so we could go to Russ, but that's belabored. You know, I'll, I'll go. <laughs> yeah, like we get it, we get it. I love I love we just have to put the Russ and Watson in their own category of horrendous contract. Yeah, yeah, they have their own their own separate category. Yeah, so um, I'll say a couple older ones like uh, Emmanuel Ogba in Miami. Uh, they signed him off a, a good mm. season, had back to back sixty pressures in two seasons, but now he's making sixteen and a half million. I think he's their fourth edge rusher he barely plays um similar scenario hunter renfro capitalized the top of the market it was perfect timing for him we saw the wide receiver boone he gets about 15 and a half million dollars he doesn't play i mean jacoby myers didn't play in week two and hunter renfro still only had one target so i think he gets traded the deadline to somebody last one a newer one not to be mean or anything, but you know, Mike McGlinchey getting top five right tackle money in Denver. Mm-hmm. I think he's top five for us in pressures allowed. He's a phenomenal run blocker. There's no question about that. I personally am not paying top five tackle money for, for a good run blocker. Uh, but anyway, I got all these people mad at me. Not no, like two people. I don't know why I said all these people. Two people got mad at me um, when I said the, the Vikings should just auction off Kirk Cousins. Everybody said, well, they're going to get a third round comp pick for him in 2025 so first of all if you can get a third round pick in 2024 if that's more valuable <laughs> to, to a rebuild if you're doing a soft rebuild so that's good i i threw out fourth round pick which was which was stupid of me i shouldn't have done that but i i said second or third round pick or fourth round pick it should just be a second or third round pick ryan Tannehill, same sort of situation although he's obviously not going to command the same amount of of money in free agency um if he let left so it's a different comp pick formula but I guess my question is baseball is so good and they don't have a cap and all of that, but baseball is so good at this guy's leaving. Let's auction him off. And my, my feeling is, and I said this on Sunday night is like, there's two ways, two things to consider about this Kirk Cousins thing. Number one is that Quezzy should wait as long as possible. So that there's more teams that might be interested. Maybe right now it would just be New York and maybe Atlanta, maybe Atlanta, but like, xyz Derek. Carr, let's say Derek carr doesn't get back to injury uh get back from injury james winston looks like a disaster you know the saints are always up for spending money um i believe jason fitzgerald uh said eight million dollars is what a team would need in cap money that keeps going down half a million dollars every single week um i guess the big qu- question is here how close are we to big time trades at the deadline of big pieces like that and why don't they happen uh, they have happened more over the past four or five years, but like, why haven't we gotten gone full baseball yet? So we are trending in that direction, like you said. Last year, in the 24-hour window before the deadline, there were 10 trades. It was double the previous high of the past decade. And of course, some of those were smaller players, but you know, I mentioned Bradley Chubb. A couple other big names yeah. did get moved. We had the Von Miller move, which I think is a new cool mechanism. Miller, yeah. Right, like those type of moves where you really just get... Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey was mid-season. Right, right. Just like a mercenary type move. The guy is not going to stay, so you recognize that. You want to get as much value as possible there was certainly an old feeling of just not giving into player uh, i think requests and, and feeling like you should just hold on as long as possible i do think that sentiment is going away why we're not full-scale baseball i think sometimes as we obviously do get lost in like winning football games and all those things I'll tell you this, Kirk Cousins showing up every weekend in Minnesota and that team going eight and nine is going to sell a whole lot of tickets in Minnesota and sell a whole lot of jerseys and do a whole lot of things that we don't think about because all we care about is winning games, winning Super Bowls and all that. So I know it's not a fun answer. Fans don't care, but yeah, owners want to make money. Newsflash. So I think that's one huge part of it. Um, I think Tannehill is is a legit trade option. I I don't know about Kirk because also they have Jaron Hall, what Jordan Ta'amu in the building. You didn't pay Justin Jefferson trying to convince him, hey, we're going to waste half of your you know, prime years, you know, with a, with a rookie with Tannehill, they have Levis, they have Malik Willis. I think that one is, is actually very realistic. If 
Tennessee loses a bunch more games. I think that might, that might happen. Educated guess that might happen. Um, get you out of here on this. And I'm sorry, the the Titans losing games, not not Tannehill <laughs> being traded. The Titans will definitely lose a bunch of games. I have no idea, no educated guess if they're going to trade Tannehill. Um, all right, uh, is there a trend that really good teams are doing right now in team building and spending and how they're doing the contracts? That, like we don't talk about enough or that the, the big piece hasn't been written like hey teams teams are doing blank uh at the top of the league yeah so we did talk about the dead money and all that in the credit card but i do think there is a smart and responsible way to do it that a lot of smart teams are doing um eagles have been doing it for a while now cleveland is now doing it i think because you know andrew berry goes there the niners are doing it this season i'm not gonna say for the first time but it does look i mean they, they lead the nfl in cap space right now and what they're doing is Essentially, they're believing in inflation of a cap dollar. Essentially, a cap dollar in 2023 on a $225 million salary cap, they believe, is more valuable than a cap dollar in 2026 where they're pushing these contracts out on a $300 million salary cap, right? So when you restructure deals and create all this cap space, obviously, every time someone does that, I get tweeted, oh, what move is coming now? Um, it's not happening most of the time. It's just what they're doing is <laughs> you can carry over any unused cap space in a certain year. So what Philadelphia does by restructuring all these contracts and Cleveland went crazy this year is they then roll over that excess into 2024 mm -hmm. Because it's worth more now than it is down the road. And I think, again, you can't go crazy, but, but a healthy approach in that manner, I think we're going to see more and more teams abide by that and be willing to buy into the idea of you know, the inflation of a cap dollar. Someone with, uh, with a team that does that said, I am fearful of the day that this comes out. And other teams start to understand it because it is such a huge competitive advantage. Now, maybe teams won't. It's it's hard, and I I barely understand it. But like, I, I it's it's a hard thing to pull off, and and so not every team is going to immediately be able to to do the copycat version. But like, it is. Uh, it's something that they really think is a competitive advantage, the, the teams that do it now. And the one thing, the constraint is still going to be you have to have an owner that's willing to do it, that has the liquidity yeah. and has the desire. So that's always going to be a constraint. But, yeah, I, I'm not surprised he said that. And they, they are right. I think more and more teams are, are kind of getting the idea and, and buying into that notion you know, as time goes on. Yeah, and that was one thing I remember that a GM said to me. I think it was on the record, um, but I don't want to say his name. But he said basically said to me, like, the, an owner – it is – Far less common than you think for the owner to just be like, oh, yeah, here you go. Here's some money. <laughs> like a lot of times it's just not it, it, it is not what you think, even in a cap situation. Um, it, a lot of times the cash spending is not where it needs to be. Um, and that's a huge competitive advantage that nobody nobody talks about. I think it's probably by design. I'm sure when I go on all these shows like we show <laughs> yeah, and talk about this, they probably hate it if anyone's listening. Uh, but yeah, it is. It's a massive advantage, and there are owners that are that are richer than others. That that is the reality of the situation. I don't even know if it's richer than others. I think it's more just like more. I mean, like I, obviously having eight, nine, ten billion dollars matters in the context of are you gonna are you gonna spend fifteen million dollars more in cash this year? But uh, a lot of it's just. I mean, there's a lot of rich guys who don't want to spend a lot of cash on, especially especially on a team that's not um, ready to compete. I think that, you know if, if if there's a proof of concept and you say, hey, we can go out and get X, Y, Z, then and we can reach the Super Bowl like that. Then maybe the, the teams are more eager. Like, but I was talking to a um a front office guy last year, and he was basically saying like the way his front office operates, like if they're not like an eight win team then they don't really like they don't really care to spend a bunch of money to to get there does that make sense like if they're not if they're not in it to win it then their team is not is not going to put maximum effort into the roster i guess you, i guess you could say that but but 2 years later if they get the quarterback if they've got the de defense ready then then their owner will say okay well we, you can whip us into shape but that's there's a huge gulf as far as that goes within the NFL I mean, the perfect example is the Cincinnati Bengals. They deserve credit. They have bent so many precedents this offseason, not just giving Burrow guarantees way out into the future. Uh, they usually only guarantee signing bonuses. Even Andy Dalton had a $17 million guarantee in his entire extension, and Joe Burrow's over $200 million. But also, Trey Hendrickson was the first player they've ever extended with two years left on his contract. Over the 
last like 15 years, I think, like they realize they have a window, obviously not off to the, the hottest start. Um, and, and so therefore, they are doing things differently. And I, you're right, that, that is a lot of owners say, hey, if I think we're legit, then I'll do it. But I'm not going to ch- I'm not going to turn six wins into nine wins by spending 30 million extra dollars. Uh, we're going to get you out of here on this. Is there a team? So a couple of years ago, I remember uh, me talking with a bunch of cap guys and I was like, is there a they're a team that's like screwed in a couple of years. And actually people did say the Bucs because of the way they spent with Tom Brady. The Bucs would take that deal 1,000 times out of 1,000. Is there a team right now where you're looking at it and you're just going, uh-oh, the Bills are going to come due in a couple of years for this team? That's an easy answer there. Uh, it's the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, it's, it's a very easy answer there. And look, if you have Justin Ooh. Herbert, you can probably cover up a lot of blemishes. But uh, just and, and to be nice, he just got hurt. I'm not saying this because he got hurt. Feel bad for Mike Williams. But you just look at the contracts of Mike Williams, Khalil Mack, JC Jackson, um, and even Keenan Allen, who is balling, but is getting up there in age. Like those four guys alone have like a hundred plus million dollars in dead cap next offseason if they wanted to move on. I imagine Khalil Mack probably not going to be there. Mike Williams, again, I, I don't even want to speculate, but like they have all these expensive old players that are all going to be coming off the books, but they've pushed money out so many times, like we talked about, and it's all going to bite them in the in the you know what uh, in 2024. I would love to be expensive and old. Brad Spielberger, salary cap analyst to PFF. Thank you so much, buddy. Yeah, thank you. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, Joe Biscalius here. He's on paternity leave for the for the next couple of weeks. I feel awful that I'm getting him uh, while he's doing this. Probably, how, how much did you sleep last night, buddy? Uh, let's see. I got a good three-hour chunk to start, and then I was up for a couple oh, hours, you're... and I got another three-hour chunk. So we're good. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's the most, that's the most anybody's ever slept in the yeah, first couple Gucci. of weeks. We're good, man. Dude, you're rolling, man. Um, <laughs> so we're doing a quick Bills-Dolphins preview before... I mean, one of the games of the year so far, just as far as figuring out where these teams are, a lot of questions. I think the Dolphins are the best team in football right now. The Bills, I mean, people were saying, you know, the line, I, I was on Pablo Torre show yesterday, and he's like, well, the line is really close. Like, it doesn't reflect it. Well, the game's in Buffalo, and the Bills are really good. And sometimes I think the public tends to forget that Vegas doesn't. Um, we'll start here. Are the Bills better than last year? I think that they are, um, just because they made a lot of, little micro improvements along their roster that I think kind of went under the radar because they didn't have a ton of cap and, you know, they didn't make the big Von Miller splash, but they did a a really nice job in, in filling some areas that they were really weak last year. Like uh, the interior offensive line, I thought was a major weakness last year. They did a nice job in signing Connor McGovern. They, they drafted Osiris Torrance and, and now that's going along with Mitch Morse, Deion Dawkins and Spencer Brown. So they feel like they have something on the offensive line. And then, you know, adding a piece like Leonard Floyd to the defensive line while Von Miller's out was a, a very sneaky move. Uh, and just their overall depth has gotten better. They've gotten healthier. This Bills team basically went through absolute hell last year with whether it be moved games, obviously what happened on Monday Night Football against the Bengals with the Mar Hamlin um, and, you know, snowstorms trying to get to their cars to, to travel to a, to a road game. Um, it's, it was, it was a wild year for a lot of reasons, but, uh, but now I, I think they're a little bit more talented. Uh, I think they realize that this could be their last crack at it with this current core of the team. Cause they've got a lot of guys who are expiring a, a, after 2023. And so, yeah, I do think this is a better team. You know, the week, week one game didn't really uh, show it, oh, but, uh, but week that? two and week three, they kind of brought it back. Who are some of the guys, obviously, 
football extensions are so weird because we always say, oh, this guy's going to leave and then he takes a below market deal or they prioritize him and we didn't think it was happening. Are there guys where you're like, all right, this guy's probably playing elsewhere next year? Yeah, it's it's tough. I'm trying to find a way for them to get Daquan Jones back, their defensive mm-hmm. tackle, who's just so important to the middle of their group. But he's up there in age. Uh, I don't know if they're going to have the cap space for him. So that's that's one of those guys you're like, okay, they would really like to get him back, but how? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Micah Hyde is another one. Mm-hmm. I think uh, they love him, but he is also nearing the end of his career. And how much longer do they really want to continue this Poyer Hyde partnership? And when does it cross to the point to where it becomes more of a, I don't want to say novelty, but like more of a, mm-hmm. uh, uh, an allusion to the past as to what is actually right. a brand, yes. a brand, a brand, yeah. upholding the brand. I, I'm, I'm all about commitment to the brand, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it for, for me, that's one of those guys. And then the, the one that I think they could keep if they wanted to, but I'm really compelled to see if they'll do it is Gabe Davis. Um, just because they've got a lot of money sunk into Steph Diggs, and, and mm-hmm. you're not moving off that deal for at least the next one or two years, but uh, they love them. They made them a captain this year. And, um, I'm pretty sure they've been talking, so uh, so I, I could see them do one of those in-year extensions to keep him around. But it, but if he continues to have good games, then they might get priced out here. The question I was asked so much when I was on like radio shows in the offseason is what 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 happens when Sean McDermott calls his own defense? Mm-hmm. Um, and what what happened? Like Leslie Frazier's not there anymore. He's on NFL Network doing a great job. But like this is the McDermott. Own ownership of the defense era. What does it look like? What are the differences and, and where does it show up? Well, I think the, the key difference is just an overwhelming reliance on that front, um, yes. on the defensive line. That's their blitz percentage is the lowest in the league and they were near the lowest last year, but um, this year, I think they're around 11%. And I think the next closest is either 14 or 15%. Um, mm. so that, that has been their formula and they've also almost had to do it out of self-preservation because mm-hmm. I do think they have some legitimate questions on the back end, the back seven, you know, uh, Matt Milano is not one of them, but everything outside of Matt Milano is kind of a question mark. Terrell Bernard, even though he was Def- defensive player of the week, I kind of wonder what he is as a run defender at this point in his career. Um, Christian Benford is first time locked in starter. Tredavious White, is he the same guy still? Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, who we just talked about. Right, yeah. Um, and, and you know, that, that's that's kind of how they have to go about it. Taron Johnson is another strength for them. But two guys out of their back seven that doesn't have a question mark leads to a lot of question marks. So that's that's been the biggest key. Um, schematically, you know, he does get a little bit more aggressive in terms of not just sending the the baseline front four when when it comes to the the money passing downs and it there was a couple of times against the commanders where he sent both milano and bernard and dropped dropped a couple of his defensive linemen um so that that has been kind of a characteristic of it but uh, i am very compelled to see what he does against miami because i think there's a couple of battling principles about about what he could do uh, against this current opponent and based on what we saw last year so that was what I was going to get to here because I don't think Miami, I mean, Miami's been at this level for three weeks, okay, not three years. And a lot of times, even if they don't admit it, a lot of times teams within their division build to stop a certain team. And I, a great example, or, or conference, a great example is our, our buddy Brandon Bean, who said they went pass rusher, pass rusher, I think it was two years ago in the draft um, at the top because they didn't have enough pass rush against Kansas City. Literally, he was thinking, let's beat Kansas City. Now, the problem is they haven't had the opportunity um, again since 13 seconds in order to do that, um, but in the playoffs. But they they gear it towards it. And I'm curious, watching this Miami team, watching this Buffalo team, is this Buffalo team equipped to stop in any way? I mean, I, I guess you could say the Patriots – were able to contain this this Dolphins offense using Christian Gonzalez, um, using a couple of, of the different uh, looks that they had. Is this Bills team uh, unusually equipped or unequipped to stop this this Dolphins attack? I don't think that they have the overall team speed to deal with it in a in a one to one kind of atmosphere. But that's kind of like the the chess game that I'm interested in here because I went back and I looked at the blitz percentages from the last two regular season games against the Dolphins. 
the first time in week three when the Dolphins got him, 21 to 19, where it was stupid hot. The Bills ran like yep. 96 offensive plays. There, there were uh, at one point they had an offensive lineman who was playing on a torn ACL. Um, yep. That that all happened, but they only blitzed around nine percent of of the time, and they got lit up. But there was a key difference between that game and the second game because in that game they were without Micah Hyde, who is already who was already mm-hmm. on season-ending IR with a neck injury. Jordan Poyer was out. They didn't have Tredavious White. They didn't have current starter Dane Jackson. So they were rolling with two rookies and Kair Elam and Christian Benford. And Benford got hurt halfway through the game. So they started, So they had a practice squad guy named Jamarcus Ingram in the lineup. Mm-hmm. So that's that to me wasn't a true representation of what maybe they'll do against this high-speed attack. That week 15 game, they blitzed 42% of the time. They nearly quintupled their blitz rate from, from the first game to the second game when they had their, their healthy crew outside of Micah Hyde. And I kind of wonder, they, it, because Raheem Mostert in that game had 100 yards before the first half was even done. Um, I kind of wonder if they just say, all right, run. And we're most worried about the speed of, of Hill and Waddle because Waddle mm-hmm. should be back, you would think. And then blitz Tua Tungabailoa. And Tua in that first half went 8 of 16 for only 100 yards. Uh, at the end of the game, I think he was 17 of 30. So it wasn't a typical Tua sort of game where he's really in the flow. And they used Milano a bunch to get after it. They used Edmonds a bunch to get after it. So I kind of wonder if maybe we'll see Sean McDermott um, buck the trend of what he's done early in the season where he mm. doesn't blitz a ton and try to get after Tua to make him nervous to try and get him to hang on the ball just a little bit longer than that, you know, one and a half, two, two and a half seconds that he's been doing. Matt Milano's from Orlando, and whenever somebody is uh, from Orlando, I want to find out they're a Magic fan. And so I asked a couple years ago, I asked some of the Bills guys in the comment, I was like, hey, man, do you know if Matt Milano is like a Magic fan? Is he wearing like a hat around? And somebody uh, who knows the team well said, I don't think Matt Milano likes anything except ball. And I was like, that's a linebacker. That's a linebacker. Thank God that that exists. Um, no outside interest except ball. Yeah. Yeah. No Matt, magic. Matt Milano. He's got no Franz Wagner thoughts. Dude, I I, I, I just watched the Orlando Magic uh, 30 for 30. Well, I'll have, I'll have to get your thoughts offline. Wait, wait, wait. Are you sitting around like I did and just watching random sports documentaries because you have nothing else to do? Uh, this when, this when was actually before, snapping? This was okay. before our son was born, like right before. Okay. And I watched, I watched the Shaq and Penny one. I'm like, because that was, I, I was a Magic guy growing up. So I'm like, Not, okay, I got to get were. in on this. Um, but, but yeah, uh, Milano. Uh, I don't really know much about him, and he's been here yeah. since 2017. That's that's the read. That's the read I've gotten. Yeah. Um, I watch so many sports docs. I watch like every college hoop sports doc. Is also Teddy's born in January, so by the time I could like get up for air, it was March, and so it's like I'm I'm watching the tournament now. I'm watching like the NC State 30 for 30. I was all in. Oh yeah. Um. All right. Uh, these two things might be connected, but there's so many Josh Allen takes after week one, and I think Dominic Foxworth had the great car analogy. Like just. Just do twenty five sometimes, you know. Like we're 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 good here. Let's 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 just uh, let's just be on be on the road. Keep between the white lines and uh, and 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 get in the garage, okay? Um, so we'll start here before I get into what what the hell happened week one. Like when the Bills and and Bina said this to me, and he's probably said it to you, I'm sure. The one thing they get on him about is taking unnecessary hits, which by the way, it seems like he's actually getting a little bit better at, even though he wants it to be his. Um, his, his trademark, that's just how he plays. Mm-hmm. But uh, he still has some weird-ass throws sometimes. And you're still just like, what are we doing here? Why why did this easy throw get a little uh, lost in translation here? And I'm curious, are we just going to have to accept that, that the the Josh Allen weird throw was just a, a, in in his arsenal and we're going to have to take the lows with the highs sometimes? Yeah, I think so. I, and that's not to say he won't eradicate it from, from game to game. But uh, I think when he was at his best – in terms of getting rid of that stuff out of his game was when Brian Dable was here because Dable mm-hmm. really worked intently with him on, on, you know, mechanics and making sure he was on it each and every week. And now that he's an established guy, I just don't know that there's that level of, okay, we're going to tweak mechanics uh, while, while you're a franchise quarterback, one of the star quarterbacks in the league. Um, it's more so game planning than anything. And Dorsey trying and, you know, Dorsey trying to figure it out himself in, in his second season. So I think it is just going to be something you have to live with. Um, the one thing about Josh that, that I've noticed throughout the years is that, you know, when he really does something just absolutely horrible one week, 
he does, a, he's really self-aware to, to change it instantly the next couple of weeks. And then it's almost like until the meter kind of gets full again, where he's like, oh, I haven't done this in a while, then bang, back, back to it. And then it just kind of resets. Um, so that for me is like when, when he imploded against the Jets with, with just some asinine throws and uh, also taking ridiculous hits. Even against the Raiders, he tried to hurdle his old college teammate into the end zone. <laughs> the college teammate was like, okay, he's probably going to try to hurdle me. Uh, finally against the commanders because Sean McDermott was like, Hey, get this under control. He slid on his first run and he kind of looked mm-hmm. around like, everybody see, you see what I did there. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's just always going to be a thing with Josh. He is, he can't, you can't get that full Wyoming Josh out of Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just going to be something that you just kind of, if you're a bills fan, you, you kind of shield your eyes when he does it and hope he gets up after the play. I'm good with it. Like if if we could do it, we would. Yeah. Like you and I, I, right. I would. That's that's my take on it. Like you don't come on, you don't leave. You you, you take the Ferrari out for a drive, okay? You don't leave it in the garage. <laughs> um. So related to that, like, was Week One just a weird fluke? Like, how did how does the team view it? In as much that like, I'm of the opinion that Week One gets faker and faker every single year. As mm-hmm. there's less play in the preseason, as teams focus more on sports science and peaking more in November and December. Like you've heard a couple of the, like the Patriots have been on TV the last couple of weeks, old Patriots, you know, Julian Edelman just saying like September was just, we're in the lab in September. It's not like we're, you know, we, we know that we're able to win and it comes down to, especially a team like the bills comes down to two weeks in January, defining whether or not they win, they, they have a successful season or not. Um, is that, is that just the way the bills view it right now? That week one was just, just got away from them and it was weird. And we're moving on. Yeah, I, I think so. And I'm with you about the week one thing. Like last year, um, the Bills went into week one Super Bowl favorites. They crushed right. the the Super Bowl champs at, right. at their home barn. And then, you know, they were good for the first six weeks. And then the season kind of unraveled on them um, as as much as, as a season can unravel if, if you go 13 and three. Uh, <laughs> the Bills uh, this year, I think. They just saw Josh try to get a little bit too out of pocket in, in that first yep. game where he was really trying to force it down. His eyes were not uh, trying to uh, – he, he wasn't really doing a great job of um, making the defenders guess elsewhere. And that's why they, they, they kind of pinned in on him. And one of the throws was like, okay, it was, the first interception was, sure, de facto punt, toss it down the field. But the other ones were like, okay, there's a there's – a, post corner route that that he just stared down and then the other one on a second down where they still had some life to live on that drive he just chucks it up and that becomes a pick and then he has the the fumble where it kind of goes right through his hands it's, it's like okay what what are you doing here um but i i think for him the the moment got a little bit big for him um and that usually doesn't happen on those monday night games and those national broadcast games there he's usually really good in in that uh in that performance area. So now I think it's just a matter of him getting that opportunity again and proving that it was a fluke. And um, I'm pretty sure that the bills are like, okay, it's just week one, good defense. They've always given the bills problems, maybe not to that level, but, um, but you know, live to fight another day. And, and once the jets come around later on in the year that, that they should have a better shot at this thing. Rookie offensive players, obviously Dalton Kincaid, Torrance, um, is there a uh, is there a new depth to this offense this year, or is it the same? Like, how would you rate those guys just through just the first month of the season? Yeah, I think the way that they've utilized Kincaid in terms of on the field, I think has been impressive because they haven't really done that with young players um, in in their in their first season, and they needed to because they were searching for some something, anything down the year last year. They brought Cole Beasley out of retirement to put him into the game as the, in their 11 personnel formations. It was, it was just bad news uh, by the end of the year last year. But they've, they've basically utilized Dalton Kincaid as their slot receiver this year. He's getting a ton of time. He's way out snapping all of the other third receiver options. And so I think that's a great thing. The one thing I'll take issue with is his average depth of target right now is 3.4 yards. And mm. he's this... Uh, really dynamic tight end. He's good in space and everything like that. And they're they're basically using him like like a pylon that Cole Beasley was early on in his career. They're trying to get him on screens and stuff, but the Bills aren't a good screen team. That's just not who they right. are. 
So I would like to see them try and attack the intermediate um, a little bit more with him and get that average depth of target up because I think he could be a dynamic option for them down the stretch. Um, the other rookie, Osiris Torrance, their second round pick. I think right now through three weeks, he there's a case you can make that he has been their best offensive lineman. Um, yeah, at right guard. Uh, and it's not – Connor McGovern, their left guard, had a really good game against the commanders, um, but he kind of struggled in week one. Mitch Morris has been – up and down so far this year. Spencer Brown, who knows? And Deion Dawkins has just been like kind of above average. Osiris Torrance was just absolutely manhandling people in the commander's game. And that's a good defensive line uh, where he's shifting people over in the run game. And one-on-one, you trust him to to go up against some of these studs of that defensive line. You know, to me, I think right now, if, if as long as the first three weeks aren't, um, you know, fool's gold here, I think they really are onto something with Osiris Torrance as a as a locked in starter for a while. Just like you said, the Bills aren't a good screen team. I just want to say that the Chicago Bears are also not a good screen team, and yet they they call a screen every single mm-hmm. play. So maybe Luke Getzey could learn something. Um, all right, so let's let's get you out of here on on this. Um, like AFC wise, how, how do you view this? Like the Chiefs, like they might. I mean, the Chiefs have a top five defense, dude. It's, it might be yeah. over. You know, like even though the Dolphins are like the best team in football right now, I, if 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 the Chiefs can get them in reasonable scoring distance, Mahomes can outscore them. Um, it feels like, and again, we always, always, and you mentioned this earlier about the window, we always shut the door on teams a year early in, in the NFL because we did get bored with them. Um, I remember, and I've, I've said this before, but like, when Lamar Jackson came on the scene in 2019, um, Greg Bishop at Sports Illustrated went to Kansas City to do like a, a Mahomes is still here piece, you know, just just because it, it's like the league had moved on so quickly. And then they won the Super Bowl that year. And it's just funny how quickly we move on. Like, you know, this is, it's, oh, it's Burroughs League. He signed the extension, Justin Herbert, whatever. It feels like people just don't even talk about the Bills anymore, which is incredible in relation to how amazing the story was three years ago so so break down what you think their place in the afc is and what they think their place in the afc is right now i think they believe that they have a shot to beat anybody um yeah and like i said before i think this is a better team than it was last year and last mm-hmm. year they were the betting super bowl favorites um and i i think they kind of like the fact that still no one's really talking about them even though they just blew out a couple of teams albeit two not so great team. Well, I, I suppose the commanders were 2-0 heading in, no. but I think that's kind wow. of fake a little bit. Um, kind of? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Raiders, of course, are, you know, whatever whatever they want to be. Um, so I, I think I think they, they think that they are right there with anybody in the AFC. And, you know, there's been a couple of teams out there, like the Chargers thought, a lot of people thought the Chargers might take the step and the Bengals are struggling. The Dolphins are certainly the the team right now that everyone's talking about. And for good reason. I mean, you throw 70 points on the board, that's that's going to get some people's attention. And I, I think even if the Bills lose this game against the Dolphins, I, I don't know that it necessarily dictates how um, how I feel about their overall Super Bowl chances this year. I, just because they have learned their lessons to where they have peaked in the regular season for the last few years here. Um, and you know, whether it be the defense not stepping up uh, in 2021 or last year falling flat in the playoffs altogether, it just seemed like they were out of gas in a couple of different ways. So now I think they're kind of building towards that, that postseason, And we're seeing a lot more of vet rest days or, or for early on in practice weeks. Uh, and there's also this other guy that we haven't brought up once on this so far that's pretty much waiting to return. That's Von Miller, who is an absolute hellraiser. And if there's a guy who can come off a, a torn ACL and be an, a huge factor, it's it's Von Miller. He's he's just that talent. He's, he's genetically gifted. It's it's just stupid watching him play at at his age. Um, so I think all of those factors kind of give them hope. In terms of where I think they sit in the AFC right now, it's below the Chiefs. There's no doubt. The Mm -hmm. Chiefs are just crazy good. I want to see the Dolphins go through the pace Mm -hmm. of an entire season before Mm -hmm. I'm I'm ready to crown them. And other than that, um, I I think you can make an argument that the Bills can can battle with just about anybody um, Mm -hmm. and beat just about anybody. And heck, they've beaten the Chiefs in the regular season the last couple of years. So you can make that argument too. Um, 
the one team I, I think might give them some trouble are the Ravens. I think they're they're a sneaky team, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, I, I think the Bills are right in that top two to four area right now. And and as long as you get in and you're healthy, who knows yep. what can happen in the playoffs. That's again, that's the thing. We we, we close these windows for teams so early, and it's yep. like, well, you just have you might have to just win one game. Their window right, is you know. very much not right. closed. That I, I will uh, say and that. it's not gonna close. No, like no. I, there's a bit of a you know, Joe Burrow said that that his the window for the Bengals is as long as he's here. Like that is true of Josh Allen too. Like mm-hmm. that is as long as there's a baseline of talent, Josh Allen can win you three playoff games and they get to the Super Bowl. All right, um, Joe, we'll let you get back to, to parenthood, to WNBA playoffs, to 30 for 30s <laughs> on the ESPN Plus library. We love ESPN Plus. Um, thank you so much, man, and we're looking forward to seeing what the Bills do on Sunday. I appreciate you, Kevin. Thanks, man. 